Our reading this morning, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. We say this every week, but through these scriptures, we're told of God's divine love for us. Um, And because of this truth, we hold the scriptures in the highest regard. So may our thoughts and our actions be shaped and changed by his word today. Now let us hear the Lord speak to us this morning from Matthew 21, 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can be here this morning. Thank you that we can gather and we can worship and praise you. Help us to be reminded of all that you've done this week. Help us to quiet our hearts and settle our minds. Um, and focus on you. I pray for Andrew as he comes to preach, that you will guide him, that you will give him the words to speak, um, and that you may work through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Hannah. Um, loud. Um, so today is Palm Sunday. Um, that means it's only one more week until... Easter, one more week until you, you know, get to do that thing you didn't get to do all of Lent, whatever that was for you, if you gave up something. Um, but Palm Sunday isn't just about the countdown to Easter, although I hope I get an Easter egg. I hope I do. Um, but it's about something more important than that. And today, I, I want us to begin this journey uh, in, in, in earnest, uh, the, the, the following Jesus as, as he enters Jerusalem and, and the, the final week of his life leading up to his death on the cross, it's not, I mean, it's not really the final week of his life. I mean, that's a spoiler for next Sunday, I guess. But um, the final week of his life leading up to his death on the cross. Um, so so do, do join us for those Zooms. It's, it's, I mean, the, the, the Safe Families thing and, and the, the, the Holy Week Zooms, these are great things that we get to do as we uh, continue to partner with Village East. And we'll continue to do stuff like this together. These things are really important. Um, the events of this week are the most well-known and most remembered and arguably the most documented events in history. And there's been more written about the events of this week than any other event in history. 990 years ago this year. Isn't that crazy? 990 years ago this year. This week changed the world forever. And so that we're going to meet on Zoom every, every night. We're going to meet on, on Friday night. 
uh, in darkness to remember the death of Jesus. And then on Sunday, we're going to remember that he rose again. Um, so let me pray for us, and then we're going to have a look at Palm Sunday and tell us uh, and, 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 and see what's happening here. Um, Father God, we just pray um, that as we enter your word now and we consider this day, this one day in history, this one event of history, um, Father, that you would help us understand who you are, and that we would have a, a better understanding of Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and transform our lives because of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, uh, I, can anybody tell me what is happening on the 6th of May? Does that date ring a bell? 6th of May this year? This probably says something about the politics of our church. Uh, Sunday, or Saturday the 6th of May is the coronation of King Charles. Um, I didn't know that either. I mean, I knew it was coming up. I didn't know the date until I looked at it this week. And I'm not really, uh, I wouldn't be someone who takes much of an interest in the royal family. But we are getting an extra day off this year, so that's pretty cool. Um, but the coronation isn't just one day. It's not just one service. It's taking place over an entire weekend. Um, so first of all, I looked this up on the Buckingham Palace website. First of all, on, on next Saturday, or Saturday the 6th of May, there's going to be the King's procession from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey. Um, and there uh, in Westminster Abbey, there's going to be the ceremony itself, the coronation ceremony itself, which will be watched by up to 100 million people around the world. Isn't that crazy? Or they estimate 100 million people around the world are going to watch this on TV. And then there will be the coronation procession with other members of the royal family after the king is being crowned from Westminster back to Buckingham Palace. And then after that, the new king and queen will, will greet the crowds from the balcony on Buckingham Palace. And that's only the first day. After that, the next day on the Sunday, there is the big coronation concert at Windsor Castle um, and the big coronation lunch. And then there's even more stuff happening on Monday too. Uh, and uh, when I started to think about Palm Sunday and then looked at the details of the, the king's coronation, I realized that the two could hardly be more different, right? Because Palm Sunday is, in a way, a kind of coronation. It's the, the procession of the king, the announcement of the king. The, the events that, that Hannah just read for us in Matthew 21 are Jesus announcing to the world that he is the king. Just in the same way that on the 6th of May, that, that, that Charles will announce to the world that he is the king. And if we're not familiar with the imagery of, of what's happening here, um, the, the donkey and the cloaks and so on, we might miss this. But Matthew, when he's writing this gospel, he helpfully includes um, th this prophecy so that we would know exactly what is going on. His followers, Jesus' followers, and even the crowds in Jerusalem would have seen this, and they knew their Bibles, and they would have known exactly what was going on, and they would have recognized this prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. And look, if you look at verse 5, it's on the screen. Um, this is what this prophecy says. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So I want you to catch that for a second. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming. See, I, I mean, we all have different uh, attitudes towards the royal family, and that's fine, that's up to you, but uh, maybe you don't care that much about the coronation of King Charles, but we all have to reckon with the coming of King Jesus. That's the one coronation that we can't ignore. And here's what I want us to consider this morning. How will we respond to the coming of the king? 
How will we respond to the coming of the king? And, and, and honestly, like, if you take one thing away from this morning, take that question. As you go into Holy Week this week and you're considering the events that happen every day leading up to Friday and then Saturday and then next Sunday, consider that. How, how are you going to respond to the coming of the king? And I want to begin to help us answer this question this morning, and hopefully that question will be answered more to you um, throughout the week. But let's look at this phrase from verse 5. Behold, your king is coming to you. Let's break this phrase down a little bit, and we'll start with this first part. Behold the king. Behold your king. uh, Verses 1 to 5 say this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem... And came to Bethpage, which is a tiny village that doesn't exist anymore, on the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem. Um, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You see, the people of Israel had been waiting a a very long time for this day. Back in the time of Judges, uh, Israel didn't have a king, uh, and they thought that if they did have a king, then all their problems, of which they had many, and most of which were caused by themselves, all their problems would be gone. So they asked God, they begged God for a king, and even though he knew that their motives were wrong in asking, he gives them one enemy uh, anyway. He uses the prophet Samuel to anoint the first king, Saul. And Saul turns out for a little while to kind of appear like a good king. He's tall, he's handsome, he's a good warrior. But then he rejects God altogether and he's really bad news for the people. And then comes David after him. He's anointed by Samuel as well. And David is probably the best king that Israel had apart from Jesus. But he turns out to be not so good either. And then after him comes his son, his son Solomon and so forth and so forth for generation and generation. And the kings came and went, and as they continued to look for an ideal king, the people began to ask, there must be something more than this. These kings keep failing us. Eventually, as we just saw in Ezra and Nehemiah, they're led into exile. But the people never forgot the covenant God made with with David, because God had said to David, your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so generations have come and gone, wondering how that promise will be fulfilled. The, the, the stuff that we looked at in Nehemiah, that was 500 years, 400 years, sorry, before Jesus. And with each new king, Israel hoped this would be the perfect Messiah, the one to bring in the golden age of their nation. Of each new king, Israel asks, are you the one who has come or should we look for somebody else? You see, they expected a ruler who would save his people and would restore them to the glory days of the nation of Israel. And as the years went by, the promise became larger than life. And it was still an expected reality, but it was now beyond any mere human being's capability. And this is where we come to the events of today. Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Maybe in your Bible it has that heading, the triumphal entry. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus is from the line of David, the line of kings. This is kind of like uh, in Lord of the Rings, like um, Aragorn. He's like, there's been a big gap, but he's still of that lineage. The king is coming. The one who, the one who comes, and, and this man, Jesus, has come giving sight to the blind. He has 
made disabled people walk again. He's actually raised people literally from the dead. So the people are thinking, well, maybe he's the one. As their perfect king, their Messiah, finally come to take his reign to restore their nations, their nation, to fulfill the promises made generations ago. And here he comes, riding into Jerusalem, the city of the king, the center of Israel's religious life, to assert his authority as king, the long-awaited Messiah. And the crowds following with him, well, the day they lay down their cloaks on the road so he can walk over them, like there will be on the 6th of May, I'm sure, a massive red carpet up in the Westminster Abbey. They cut palm branches down and they lay them down. John's gospel tells us they're waving palm branches in the air. And they're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But this is strange, isn't it? Because what kind of king announces himself by riding on a donkey? What kind of king does that with only cloak, not even a saddle, just some cloaks to sit on? No red carpet, just some clothes thrown out in the road. What kind of king is this? This is one of the questions we've heard talked about with Charles. I remember especially when, after the queen died, that was, what kind of king is he going to be? And we don't really know that yet. But by entering Jerusalem in this way, Jesus is living out a parable showing us what kind of king he will be. And he demonstrates that he is the peaceful king and he is the humble king. Jesus is coming to claim the throne of the universe. That's what this is about. And next Sunday, that's what that proves. But he doesn't come on a war horse or some big stallion. He comes on a lowly donkey. Ironically, Jesus is riding to war, right? Because we know that next Friday, he's going to take on the forces of darkness when he dies on the cross. But he comes not on a war horse, but on a beast of burden. There will be a day when Jesus will come on a great war horse, but it's not this day. This is the day of salvation. And today comes not to wage war against his enemies, but to make peace with them. The donkey is a symbol of peace. To ride on a donkey is the, is, the, is the king riding into the city in peace. And he comes not to wage war against those who oppose him, but to make peace with them through sacrificing his own life. This is the kind of king Jesus is. The king who comes to make peace with his enemies. The one who would lay down his life, not just for his friends, but for his enemies. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 tells us this. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, shalom, wholeness, by the blood of his cross. Because there's been many kings and queens and rulers and dictators and, and whatnot throughout history who have tried to make peace by shedding the blood of their enemies. But Jesus comes to make peace with his enemies, not by shedding the, their blood, but by shedding his own blood. He's come to make peace between us and God, to reconcile all things to himself, to bring shalom, to, to restore all the brokenness. That's literally what this word shalom means, to like two pieces of rock that are somehow made whole again. He's the king who comes in peace, and he comes to make peace by shedding his own blood. But he's also the king of humility. Now, I don't know all the plans for the coronation of King Charles. But 
I'm pretty confident he won't be riding on a donkey or there won't be maybe any donkeys involved. That'd be kind of funny, wouldn't it? If we saw that, we'd laugh. We'd be like, what is this? Is this, this is crazy. But I guarantee you there will be war horses and military guards and golden carriages, lots of soldiers. But Jesus doesn't come with a show of strength, does he? This is not like you see in China or Korea where they have the, the big squares full of soldiers and missiles and tanks. Jesus doesn't come with a show of strength. He comes with a show of weakness, with a show of meekness, with a show of humility. Jesus exhibits the lowly, not the grand. And I love this. Um, there's this funny thing that happens in Matthew 21. I don't know if you caught this because it says that, that uh, Jesus says, you will find a donkey and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. And then it, he also says that they throw their coats uh, on them and he sits on them. Now, some scholars who I think are not very smart uh, suggest that he's actually riding on two animals, which is weird. I think when it says he sits on them, that means he sits on the coats. But anyway, he doesn't come just riding on a donkey. He, he, he comes on the colt of a donkey. A donkey would have been low enough. But he chooses one even more humble, a foal, a young donkey. John tells us that, that this, this foal, this colt, no one had ever ridden it before. And so that's probably why Jesus says, hey, bring the mum too, because it'll be calmed by the mum's presence. That's his humility. Make no mistake that Jesus is the King of Kings. And next Sunday, when, when he bursts out of that tomb, he proves that. He's vindicated. He is the ruler of the universe. Make no mistake about it. There is nothing in creation that exists that he did not create. And he sustains all of creation by the word of his power. But how does he choose to come to us? Does he come and say, look at all the things I've created. Look at all the control of everything I have. Look at my vast armies of angels. No, he doesn't do that. He, he comes in humility. He chooses to come to us lowly. He chose that donkey. He chose that way to enter it. Out of love, to reach us, to relate to us, to rescue us, to become one of us, to die as one of us. Philippians 2 verse 8. I feel like I've been quoting this verse a lot recently. It says this, and being found in human form, that's Jesus again, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself to death. See, Jesus is demonstrating who he is. This is the upside down nature of the kingdom, isn't it? The path to glory is actually the path of humility. The way down is actually the way up. And isn't it true that all day, every day, we are told by the world that we have to build ourselves up? Isn't it true that, that we have to rise up, that we have to make as much of ourselves as possible? I have to be as, as educated as possible, as rich as possible, as good looking as possible, as fit as possible. I have to try and be as comfortable as possible, as be, be as successful in love as possible. But none of these things truly matter because Jesus here is living out the parable of a, a parable of the kingdom. Behold your king, it says. Let's look at Jesus this week. This is an invitation to see Jesus, to see the example of our King. And Jesus leads the way on the path to glory, and it comes through humility, lowering ourselves. What would it look like if we lived in His example, lowering ourselves? 
to not think of ourselves as better than families who are struggling, but to lower ourselves and say, no, I want to hold you up. I want to serve you. Jesus has made a very uh, clear statement that he is the king, but he's not a king in the way that people thought he would be or necessarily wanted him to be. You see, they wanted him to be a political force advancing their cause. And, and we'll see later on that actually their actions and what they say betrays that. But they wanted their king to free them from political oppression, to bring war to the Roman Empire, to finally restore the might of Israel. But he comes not with that show of might and strength, but a show of humility and peace. This is the kind of king he is. And this begs the question, what kind of king do you want him to be? You see, there's no doubt he is the king I know in my life that, that I, I, I want Jesus to be the kind of king I want him to be. I want him to do all the things I, I want him to do. You know, I want him to have all the power and the might and the glory as long as he is doing my bidding. I want him to destroy the people who do me harm. I want him to fulfill all my dreams of success. But this Palm Sunday, as we start this journey towards the cross, the invitation is to look at your king and see what he is like. And then ask yourself the question, how will I respond to the coming of the king? Can you cope with a king who comes in humility and peace? That's the first part. The second part of this phrase is, behold, your king is coming. Behold, your king is coming. Look at verses four to seven. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, their, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now, Bible scholars reckon that there are somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. That 200 there, there's some debate on whether it's actually prophecy and whether Jesus fulfilled them. But are over a thousand prophecies made over a couple of thousand years by dozens of different people that Jesus fulfills. Even here as Matthew is recording these events, and, and remember, the cool thing about this is Matthew uh, was there. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He saw this. He, 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 he heard Jesus sent the two disciples to go and get the, to go and get the donkeys. And he, he saw them put their cloaks over the donkey. Maybe he even gave up his cloak and put it on it as well. He saw the crowds and he heard what they shouted. And, and as Matthew records this, he remembers one of the prophecies that is fulfilled in these events. He remembers Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And he puts it in here to leave us in no doubt as to exactly who this is. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Zechariah wrote those words 500 years before Jesus was even born. And here they are coming true. Uh, my point is this. It was prophesied and it happened. So do you see the inevitability of Jesus? It was foretold and it actually happened. You see the inevitability and then we get these seemingly insignificant details, right? We're told that the disciples do what they're told. <laughs> Matthew says, well, Jesus told, you know, whoever it was, 
I don't know, Judas and Peter, go and get the donkeys. And they do what they're told. Then secondly, they found the donkeys exactly where Jesus said they would be. What? So either Jesus has snuck on up the road and prearranged this with the donkey owner, or he is who he says he is. These details are here to show us that there is nothing we can do to stop the coming of King Jesus. Your king is coming. There is nothing you can do to stop it. King Jesus is inevitable. He's inevitable. And listen, if he really is the king and he really is inevitable, then we need to decide how we're going to respond. And, And this is the journey I hope we can go on this week. His coming is inevitable. He really is the king. There is nothing we can do to change that. And and if we can't change it, then we need to decide how to respond to it. Right? Imagine you're standing on the tracks of a railway. And you hear, and maybe you can see the train come in the distance. There, There is zero. I mean, maybe if you had a mobile phone, you could call somebody, I don't know, the police, get the train stopped. But if you don't have a mobile phone, there's nothing you can do to stop that train coming. So either you can ignore it, and get hit by the train, or you can decide how you're going to respond. King Jesus is inevitable. He is coming. He has come. And if we can't change that, then we need to decide how we're going to respond. Because if Jesus really is the King of Kings, then it changes everything. Now, I was thinking about this week, and I decided that a lot of the time, I don't want Jesus to be King, right? Are you the same? Like, if we're honest, we're just kind of happy with a nice religious Jesus, we, we want just enough Jesus to, to, to take away our sin and, and make sure we don't go to hell, but we don't actually want Jesus as, as Lord because if he is Lord of all, if he is king, then it means that it's going to drastically change our lives. Uh, D.A. Carson, who's a theologian, he wrote this little thing and he says this. It's in, it's in one of his books and I like it. He says, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. He says, I would like to buy about three quid's worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate envy and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races, especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about three quid's worth of gospel, please. I wonder, is this our attitude? We don't want a king. We don't need a king. We don't want our authority to be challenged. We, don't, we want to be the captains of our own destiny, don't we? We refuse to have somebody telling us what to do or, or what not to do. But you see, the thing is, if Jesus really is the inevitable king, then it's him that is in control, not us. And if we receive him as king, we might just find that we bring food to the food bank or we sign up to serve with safe families or we actually do love our enemies or or we're sacrificial in our giving or we love one another and serve one another and we share the gospel with our friends. But we don't like the idea of Jesus as king. St. Augustine in his confessions, um, he talks about wrestling with this idea. And he tells this story 
um, about when he was, um, uh, him and a group of friends as youngsters, they sneak into an orchard and they steal some pears. Um, I mean, cr- crimes are a bit different back then, but anyway, uh, <laughs> put in, I don't know, tagging some shop from, or I don't know, shoplifting or whatever. But then he's asking himself in his confessions as he's thinking about this, he goes, why am I stealing the pears when A, I wasn't hungry, and B, I don't even like pears? <laughs> and in the end, he concludes that the only reason he did that is because somebody told him he shouldn't. He knew he wasn't allowed to. And he couldn't stand that somebody would tell him what not to do. And so he does what he's not allowed to do. He doesn't want someone else to be in control of him. And this is human nature. Even if you are someone who's predisposed to follow the rules. Human nature is we don't want authority over us. We, don't, we, don't, we, we want to be in charge of our own decisions. But the coming of the king is inevitable. And on Palm Sunday, and even more so on Resurrection Sunday, this means that we have to consider how we respond. We all have to reckon with the coming of the King. I love how Jesus is proclaiming himself to be King. And it's very clear that he is saying in this moment, by the, the events of this week are why Jesus was killed, by the way. Did you know that? Like up until this point, Jesus has been kind of going around saying, hey, I know I healed you, but please don't tell anyone who I am. Don't, don't say that yet. And then he is, hey, look, I'm here. And I'm fulfilling prophecy. And I'm saying that I am the king. And we have to reckon with this. We have to consider this. Because either he isn't the king, and he's just a liar. Or he isn't the king, but he believes he is, and therefore he's insane. I mean, who else would do this except an insane person? Or he actually is what he says he is. Those are the only options. And we have to choose. Either we don't believe he's the king and so we don't submit to his lordship. Or we do believe he's the king but we still don't submit to his lordship and live in rebellion to him. Or we believe that he is the king of kings and we honor him as such with lives of worship and devotion. Those are the only responses, aren't they? And the events of this coming week that change the world forever. And we have to face up to that. Listen, I can by and large ignore the coronation of King Charles, the whatever he is, third, fourth, I don't know. What is he? Third? Third. King Charles III, English person, give us the answer. Um, It won't really affect my life that much. But we can't ignore the coming of King Jesus. He is inevitable. The king is coming. So how will we respond? Behold your king. He is the king of peace and humility coming to make peace with his enemies through humility on the path to glory. And the king is coming. He's the inevitable king. It's happening, and we have to consider what we're going to do with this. And then finally, behold, your king is coming to you. Behold, your king is coming to you. The last part of our passage this morning, verse 8 to 11 Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is the king. He is coming. But how will we receive him? 
You see, most of the crowd welcome him the way a king should be welcomed. And if you were to look just at this little snapshot, right, you, you, would, you would think, oh, the reason that Jesus came into the world in the first place has been accomplished, right? People are singing, they're shouting, they're worshiping him because Jesus is king. Isn't this why Jesus came into the world? They're shouting, Hosanna. That's literally a Hebrew word that means save us. Save us. We know you're the son of David. We know you're the rightful king. Save us, rightful king. You're coming in the name of Yahweh. And you look at this scene and you think, man, they've got it. They are receiving Jesus in the right way. They clearly know who Jesus is. But let's look a little bit closer. See, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the crowd with him, the whole city was stirred up. And not because they all believed that the Savior of the world had come to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. Not because of that. The city is stirred up because uh, Jesus' supporters are proclaiming him to be king in a day and age when it was an offense punishable by death to proclaim anyone except the Roman emperor Caesar as king. So of course the city is in uproar. They sense that a rebellion is coming. Who is this? And when the people of Jerusalem ask them, who is this? The, the people who are following Jesus, his followers say, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Are they right or wrong? Well, technically they're right. That's a true statement. He is the prophet from Nazareth, but he's so much more than that. And my point is this, that their answer was correct, but it was insufficient. And I wonder when people ask us this question, how we answer because it's totally possible to know lots of true stuff about Jesus and still not know him. It's totally possible to have correct things about Jesus to say and not accept him as king. We can have all the answers about Jesus and still miss who he is, right? And usually, if we, if we just know some true stuff about Jesus, that's precisely when we think that he's going to be the kind of king that we want him to be. The people hadn't fully grasped who Jesus is. And as the darkness of Holy Week grows, as we descend further into darkness until Saturday, these cries of Hosanna in the highest get quieter and the screams of crucify him get louder. Do we see Jesus as king or, or do we see him just as a prophet from Nazareth? Do we accept him as Lord and Savior or do we just like some things he says about caring for the poor or, or, or loving your neighbor? Do we want just three quids worth of Jesus? See, the people who were throwing their cloaks in the ground for him to ride over, they thought Jesus was going to restore their nation, which he would do, of course, but just not in the way they thought he would. And as this week goes on, we see that Jesus is a very different kind of king with a very different kind of kingdom. Most of the crowd saw him as the promised king in a political and military sense. They, they had, had heard him and seen him do all these amazing miracles and they were hoping that Jesus would use these amazing powers. They're like, this guy can raise the dead, he can heal people. I mean, the Romans don't stand a chance. He's got superpowers. Surely we're going to have independence now. But Jesus... Isn't that kind of king? I want us to hear this 
He is the king who comes to you. He comes in peace to you. He comes in humility to you. I want us to understand that that this is good news for bad and weary people like us. We strive to rule our own lives, don't we? Only to find that we make a hash of it over and over again. I I, I mean, that's me. (laughs) And the world tells us that we need to be stronger or work harder or be better, and we fall for it every time. And at the end of the day, all we're we're, we're doing is, is actually following somebody else's rule, and it never satisfies us, but Jesus isn't this kind of ruler. Jesus, most kings ride a mighty steed, but Jesus rides on a donkey. Why? Because he came for you. Most kings are high and lofty, but Jesus is gentle and lowly. Why? Because he came for you. Most kings have multitudes of servants, but Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you. He didn't come to wear a crown of gold and and diamonds. He came to wear a crown of thorns because he came for you. I was walking up here this morning and I was thinking about this and I just just had this over, I, I mean, I just, I'm being, I want to be vulnerable. I, I just really want you to know that Jesus loves you and that he came for you. He didn't come to oppress you. He didn't come to be another voice of authority telling you you're not good enough. Or you're not any good. He didn't come to condemn you. Christ Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so the invitation to behold your king is an invitation to see, yes, Jesus, the Lord of all creation, the maker of all things, the beginning and the end, the one with all the power and authority, to see him as he comes gentle and lowly and humbly and in peace for you. He has come to you. Your king has come to you. And I think our lives would be vastly different if we actually received that. And so how will we receive him? That's the question we started with, and that's where we're going to finish. Because understanding who Jesus truly is and worshiping him and honoring him because of that identity and what he will do on Friday on the cross and what he will do on Sunday as he comes out of the tomb, this is absolutely crucial because today, on this day, on Palm Sunday, today is the day of salvation. And he comes on a donkey, but one day he will come on a war horse, right? And on that day, the kingship of Jesus will look vastly different than it does now. And we get a glimpse of this in Revelation 19. It says this, and this is the apostle John. God gives him this vision. And it says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Not a foal, not a colt, not a little donkey. A white horse. You know who rides white horses? Kings. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. That's crowns, by the way. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on white horses. They won't be any longer throwing their cloaks on the ground. The armies of heaven will be following him on white horses. 
And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The donkey has been replaced with a white horse. Do you see that? Uh, on that day, he will come to destroy his enemies forever. To do away with all the things that you hate about the world right now. All the pain, all the evil, all the injustice, all the suffering. He will do away with that. But that also means that he's going to do away with the cause of those things and the followers of those things, right? And so if we receive and believe in who Jesus is today... We will have eternal life. But if we reject him and refuse to accept him as king, on that day, he will come for us, not in humility and peace, but in judgment. And if, but if we receive him as our king now, he will be our king on that day too, and, and then forever. If we trust and honor him as, as Lord and king, then when he does come riding on the warhouse with the sword coming out of his mouth and eyes of fire, I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? It's insane to think about. When he comes to put an end to his enemies and destroy all evil and injustice, then on that day, well, if we're trusting in him on this day, we won't be destroyed, we will be saved. And on that day, we will rejoice because he will finally do away with all the wrongs and all the pain and all the suffering and all the injustice. And we will be glad on that day that he comes on his war horse because he has first come to us on a donkey in peace and humility. First time, and he is coming again. He is the inevitable king. And, and, and he will come again as the king over all kings, the king over all nations, the king over all nature, the king over the universe. And but until he comes again, this is still the day of salvation, right? Until he comes, this is still the day of forgiveness and patience and mercy and grace. He is still the king who, who makes peace with his enemies and comes in humility. And he's ready to save all who receive him as Savior and King. So the invitation for all of us, whether you've been a Christian a long time or whether you're not a Christian, the invitation... Come to him now and receive him. Know him. Don't just know stuff about him. Don't be like the crowds who say, oh yeah, that's Jesus. He's, he's the prophet from Nazareth. See him as the king of kings now. And so this is the invitation this week. Let, let's go on this journey together. Let's slow down. Let's do what Travis urged us to do and actually enter into these reflections and, and ask the question genuinely that the crowd asked, who is this? And allow him to answer it in these words, behold, your king is coming to you. So how will we receive him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we want to worship you as our king. We want to receive you as our king, but we struggle in our own hearts because we're full of doubt and we're full of rebellion and we're full of weakness. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have revealed yourself to be the king. Thank you that you have come to us riding on a donkey in peace and humility because that's how we need you, Lord. We need you right now to meet us in peace, to, to make ho us whole, to bring shalom between us and God. Father, for all of us who are struggling in all kinds of ways, whether it's with doubt, or lack of faith, whether it's with the busyness of life, the toughness of life, the grief of life, whether it's with our own anxiety and depression, 
our own physical health struggles. Lord, I pray that all those things, Lord, through that we would see that you're the king and, and, and you know what we're going through because you rode on a donkey. You came in peace and Would we receive you even more? Would you answer our question of who is this? And Lord Jesus, as we come to your table now and, and come to take the meal that you've given us to, to remember you would, you, would you help us to see you in a fresh way? Would you help us to see that you are the king who comes in, in, in to make peace by shedding your own blood, giving up your own body? Father, would you uh, bless our time at the table? Would we receive your grace in a fresh way? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in response to and because of the good news of Jesus that we've heard,